0: I want you to know i sang the blue no uh everywhere I go I've been saying the blue for a long long time and the blues, the
1: only... What is happening guys? Welcome to the Monday Morning Blues. I'm your host Christian Hansen. If you're tuning in for the first time, thank you so much. Uh, it means the world to me. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio, and you can listen to the show. Wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, you can listen to mine, The Monday Morning Blues. Don't forget to check out our website as well, www.themondaymorningblues.com. There you'll find the next four weeks' guests, information on all of them, and you'll be able to see uh, this new thing we have called The Blues Review. I'll give you suggestions on... Music that I've been listening to lately in the blues, rock, jazz genres, in hopes of uh, turning you guys on to stuff that you may have not heard before. So if you like what you hear, be sure to spread the love and keep the music alive. Today's a big day. We have Bobby Rush on. Yeah, it was, took a while for me to get him. Then I got him and I think I panicked a little bit. I, I, I'm not sure I I asked everything I wanted to ask within the time frame that I was given to speak to him. I only had 25 minutes. Um, I've really been beating myself up over uh, what I was able to get with him. I I feel like I missed a lot, but uh, that could just be me bashing myself because I do it all the time. But uh, it was truly an absolute pleasure and an honor beyond belief to have Bobby on. So, Without further ado, the man himself, blues legend, Grammy winner, Bobby Rush.
0: That's on my mind. I'm a blue man. That's what I do. I'm a blue man. I sang a blue for you. I'm a blues man. That's all I know.
1: What's up, Bobby? I I really really appreciate you agreeing to do this interview with me. It means the absolute world to me. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you calling me, and thanks for your thoughts and your prayers, and you you uh, and you wishing me well and concern.
1: Absolutely, like I you know like I told Jeff, it is absolutely um, I feel like a responsibility to keep the music alive. For however long I'm alive, so um, absolutely. Um, I hope I'm so glad you're doing better, Um, and I'm so glad to talk to you today. It's going to be great.
2: I know what you mean. I appreciate that. Appreciate a lot of standpoints. I really appreciate it. All
1: right, I have to ask right off the gates. I mean, come on. It's three hundred and sixty plus records, eighty nine CDs. I mean, and I honestly expect that number to skyrocket over the next few years. What is it about what you do? that keeps you going? I mean, 86 years old, you are Bobby, I mean, you're still grinding, and you're still pumping out more CDs than the young guys nowadays. What is it?
2: What about what I do is is the love of it. You know, I'm a blues man. I love what I'm doing. I love what I what I have done what I have done and what I'm planning to do. And, and when people are there, when people say I can't do anything that they have me not to do it. That's what I uh, reach at it most and, and, and try to make people make a lot of people who say I can't do the same thing. But then I, then I love people and I love what I'm doing. I love the music. I love to create. I love everything about the blues and about the music that I do and something I enjoy. And and I, I believe I'm cut out to do this. And so God has blessed me to love what I'm doing and, and do it well. You know?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, when you made that move to Chicago uh, that a lot of people made, you know, they made that trek, migrating from the south to chicago to pursue the blues journey and dream of uh making it in the music industry when you made that trek was it really as cutthroat as they said asking obviously someone who was on the front lines of that experience how cutthroat was it
2: yeah it was difficult but but it's not too much different now than it was then it's still a cutthroat business it's a political kind of a situation. But when I got to Chicago in the early 50s, in uh, the blues scene, the real known guys, a lot of blues players, but people like Muddy Water, Howlin' Wolf, Jimmy Reed, John Lee Hooker, and people like that, and many other guys around that I don't call names, but many others, they kind of like damaged the the, the, the territory. And and I was in the midst of that with Freddie King and myself and uh, William May Bond, and we were kind of like the underdogs of it. So uh, I got a job at Walton's Corner, which was on the west side of Chicago. And sometimes the west side of Chicago kind of fight with the guys on the south side of Chicago. It's like a, a, a territory, like game. Uh, do a territory. Don't you come on the west side and mess with me and Smadge uh, Sam. And then I won't come over and mess with you and, and uh, the guys, with Junior Wells and all the guys on on the, on the south side. So that's kind of like the way it was, but we were friends and it was a crypto thing and just it is a crypto thing today, man. It's it ain't that much different. Everything have changed, really have made, really remained the same.
1: Yeah, no, I I get it now. When you got here, it was actually little Walter who helped you get that first gig, correct? Right? And it was at it was, I think it was at a place called Skins. Um and I have to ask, what was it what did it mean to be playing In front of a white crowd, but behind a curtain. I'm trying to get some clarity and uh, understanding of what that meant.
2: Yeah, but Little Walter recommended me to the to the gig. But J.B. Lenore, the one who talked to the man about hiring me, J.B. Lenore was his name. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're talking about uh, my first gig that I worked, it wasn't the first gig or around the first gig I worked in this place out south of Chicago, suburb of Chicago and a place where we work behind a curtain where they want to have a music, they wanted to see a face because the audience was all white. Mm. And, and and that was a start to my success to for financially because most of the time I was making $5 a night, and now this place where I was playing behind a curtain was paying me 7 dollars to $8 a night, and the, all the tips I could make, which would sometimes be $2 or $3. So that means I was making $10, $12, and $10, $12 back in the early 50s was a lot of money for, for a black guy to make playing music or doing anything else.
1: Right. Absolutely. Now, when you started playing um, music, a lot of that uh, inspiration and desire to pick up an instrument was channeled uh, by way of your father, who was a pastor, a farmer, and he also uh, happened to play guitar. Um, for you, what came first? Because I know obviously it's harp, guitar, but was it the harp that came before the guitar, or was it the guitar that came before the harp?
2: It was. It was the harp. It was the harp first, and then, then uh, my cousin gave me a guitar, and uh, and I hid it for my dad because I thought because my daddy was a preacher, he gonna be me playing the playing the guitar. The reason I thought that because I hadn't planned to play in the gospel, in the spiritual music. I plan to play the blues because that's what I love and what I want to do. So I hit this guitar so he couldn't see uh, what I had. And you know, your father knew everything. He finally brought it to me one day. He said, "Bring that guitar here, boy. And I didn't know he knew I had a guitar. So I brought it down. He tuned it up. Then that's when I found out he could play. He tuned the guitar up. I couldn't even tune it up. And he taught me how to tune it up and taught me my first song, you know, on the guitar called chanky pin you know? <laughs> yeah. He said, let me sing this song to you, boy. I used to sing to a little girl. When I was a little older than you, I thought it was about my mama. I either going to be glory, glory, hallelujah. a church song because my dad being been a preacher, <laughs> but the first, the first line that he said, me and my gal went to chanky pin hunting. She fell down and I saw something. Wow. What did he say that for? And I, could, I wanted to ask him what he see. What did he see under the dress? And and, and and I couldn't dare to ask my daddy that, being a preacher and a little boy. So I wanted to know what he saw, you know. He mm-hmm. said it again. He said, And I said, sing it again. I wanted him to tell me what he saw because I know he she fell down. She, he saw something. But I thought the second bridge would tell me what he saw. But he sang it again. My mama's in the kitchen cooking. She said, <clears throat> clear the throw up, throw her up like that. Me don't sing that kind of song to that boy. But that was my first taste of being introduced to the blues or to right. the music period with my daddy being a preacher, you know?
1: No, that's incredible. Now, something that I found interesting, Bobby, was the fact that um, you cross paths with Elmore James. Now, you started playing with him in the 50s. How the heck did you guys kind of cross paths? How did you meet each other? Was it um, by way of your father? Or, I mean, how did that moment come together? for you guys to start playing together?
2: We, we, we call it a pass because of, at that time, Edmo Jane, uh, when I met him, he was living in Canton, Mississippi. But I met him in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, at a place called Jackrabbits. And I, uh, I wanted him to play with me. And that was a gentleman who had a, had a uh, uh, funeral at home in Mississippi. She had one in Belzona, Mississippi, and one in Clarksdale, Mississippi, where Howlin' Wolf were living. And he wanted to go up there where Howlin' Wolf to play, and I needed Elmo Jane to play in this club for me. And I had $5 a night, which was $1,500 Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He said, no, I got to have uh, $8 a night, not $5 a night, $8 a night. And I couldn't pay him. So this girl was standing in the door. She looked real good. She was my friend. And so was her boyfriend, which Was with Lee Robazine He was my friend. And he walked by her. He said, wow, look at that girl. I'd do anything for her. Well, I know that was my friend's wife. He, he was an uh, undertaker, for, a driver for the funeral home. He said, I'd do anything for her. I said, well, maybe I can fix that up for you, Elmo James. So Elmo James said, you can. He said, I'd do anything for her. I said, tell you what. If I fix this up, will you play for me? He said, man, I'd play for you free if you fix that up. Well, what I did, I got the guy latest boyfriend, who was my friend, Robert Zim, and she was my friend. And the the weekend that they didn't have anything going at their funeral home, I would get him to take me to the clubs. And I would let him stop two blocks from the club because I didn't want nobody to see me getting out of his hearse like I was dead. So every other weekend when he didn't have a thing, Elmo Jane was there at his house while he was gone then Elmo Jane would play with me free. That's, that's not cool. That's not a good story, but I did that man. Get it. I hooked him up with my, with my friends, old lady, and he would stay with her when Elmo Jane was with me. And Elmo was would stay at her house when the driver was with me, which is his, wound up being her husband. So that's not right. That's not a good story, but it's a true story.
1: No, no, no. Uh, I totally get it. Now, um, the cool thing is this is actually when Buddy Guy came to Chicago now he came 4 years after you. Um now when Buddy Guy gets to Chicago rumor has it you actually kind of helped him get his first gig and opportunity um in a club is that correct?
2: I think I think I I think I got him his first gig with a guy called Curly on Madison and Avenue. He was a friend of mine. He said, I just got this guy coming from Louisiana, man. You know him, buddy guy. I said, I don't really know him, but he's from my hometown, man. He's behind. And so he hiding him because of my relationship with him, and he had Buddy. You know, had, I didn't really know Buddy at that time. That's when I met Buddy. Since that time, we bumped in the head and crossed each other paths but many, many times. But we never really talked and got real close as good friends until uh, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago. And then we now we're the closest buddies we are. In fact, we talked yesterday and this morning, and we talk all the time. Because he's from my home t- state, and uh, uh, I didn't know him there because I got in Chicago way before he did. Not way before, many years before he did. But I, but when he came there, he was scuffling just like I was scuffling. And we didn't see each other at all because the weekend, I'm trying to work, he's trying to work. But lately, uh, we found out that we were from the same hometown, which we learned that a little later. And now we got to be the best of friends. and It's such a blessing to nobody guy. And now he and I are one of the two, two oldest black, uh, you know, blues guys around now. And he definitely is my best friend. And I think he cares a lot for me because you know, since I've been down with this uh, sickness and he's been really calling me and keeping up with me, it makes me feel good and knowing my homeboy's keeping up with, with a homeboy, you know?
1: Absolutely, Bobby. I mean, you, you said it best um now obviously you're great friends with buddy and stuff like that but buddy is very vocal about the idea of the importance of making sure we keep this music alive and well for generations and generations to come how much pressure do you feel to really keep this going do you feel like there is this massive obligation for you to uh Keep this up.
2: Yes, I'm obligated, man, to do what I can do while I can, because that will come a time I can't do. I won't regret what I did not do. Right. So now I'm going to try to put out records as often as I can to set a trend and let people know that it's all right to sing the blues, because the blues is all right. And but a guy and I sit in a leadership now where we can be leaders to the young black guys, especially coming up, and the young white guys too. That the blues is something you need to do because it's the root of all music. If they don't like the no, blues, Bobby, and you probably all don't the like You're your time
1: Absolutely right. I mean, if people really take the time and think about it, look at uh, the Rolling Stones named themselves after a Muddy Waters tune. Steve Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. They, uh, you know, he he, Stevie named his rhythm section. After a Notice Rush tune, Double treble, The relevance and importance and uh, love and respect for the genre is there. It's still there, but it's not as strong as it was before. So it's really important uh, to me uh, to keep this genre alive. And it's just really important in general to preserve and support the blues. It's, it is absolutely important.
2: You know what's important to me, and most of all, people like you still writing about the blues and talking about it in the turn that you talked about it with, and coming to get people like myself and Buddy Guy and to keep talking about the blues to the young people. Because after Buddy Guy and left, leave, and I leave, there ain't many guys you can reach and talk to about the history of the blues. So we need to mm-hmm. talk about this as much as we possibly can, not just because of me, because it's the truth, because we are one of the few left of the pioneers of the blues, man. You know, if you don't get it from he and I, uh, people like myself and him, uh, where are you gonna get the information from? Pretty soon it'd be like a dinosaur. It won't be existed anymore.
1: No, you you said it best there, Bobby. Um and I, I thank you very much for speaking of me in the way that you did at the beginning there. That that meant a lot to me, so thank you very much. Um now when it when it comes to the Grammys, uh three hundred, you know, sixty plus records, eighty nine CDs and counting you finally get to that promised land with porky pie meat. What's going through your mind when you hear, and the Grammy goes to, Bobby Rush, porky pie meat? How validating was that for you? What was that that moment like?
2: It was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. And I accepted this for all the guys that I beat out, all the guys who should have been there and never would gotten there who never got the chance or the opportunity to, to be where I was, not even uh, being uh, nominated. But they was due for it. I accepted for the Johnny Taylor and Tyrone Davis and all the guys who should have been there, but the Bobby Blands, all the guys should have been there before me uh, during the time I was there. They didn't get it. So I represent all of these people who who were there, who should have gotten it and missed it. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm not speaking about the guys who got it and didn't do it. I'm not talking about that, but I do want the, the organization as a grammar to be fair to the music and the people who do the music as fast as possible can be. Everybody can't win, everybody, but everybody can't lose. Somebody got to win, so give it to the to the man or woman who's who have the music and the qualification and got the time in.
1: No, again, yeah, I, I totally get it. I mean, at the end of the day you should be judged and viewed it and rated on your uh your talent. There should never be anything that gets in the way, especially um what you can provide financially because not everyone has money. You know, at the end of the day you're you're rated and you're judged on musicianship and recording excellence and that's all it should be based on.
2: I'm I'm glad you said it because a lot of time the political things get in the one who could spend the money, one who got the best manager of or the best record company, who got the money to spend, get the exposure. That's the one win, but it's not all the way the best record that wins. So we want to go down to the the music. Let the best man win with the record and the qualification and the, and the production of the record, and, and, and that's where that's where it should go. You know?
1: No, absolutely. Now, when it comes to categorization of musicians. A lot of people, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, for example, don't like to pigeonhole themselves into one thing. For him, he wouldn't say he's a blues musician. He'd say he's a blues guitarist. Reason being, you classify and you label yourself as one thing. In his case, blues musician. People are going to expect only blues and nothing but for you how how would you kind of identify in the uh in the idea of genres and um you know type of artist that you are would you say you're a blues musician or you're a musician who has multiple different influences from soul r&b and blues what is it for you
2: i am a, a straight blue musician to add in other music inside of what I do, just like Quentin Wayne Shepard would do, he he add other things in what he do, the country western, anything else. It is all right for him to do, but when I do it, I'm not counted as a blues man. I'm a blues man because I tell the same story. I as if you listen to my story, it's blues. It's about the blues. It's not have. To, it don't have to be all about heartaches and trouble, uh good and bad, uh fun and, and not being fun, but it can be just be about truth. And talk about the truth, you know? I talked in my, in the, my last record, I talked about a dog named Bo. There was mm-hmm. a scene like I was in love with this little girl, and she went and told her daddy she wanted to marry me. Her daddy didn't want her to marry me because to me, to to her daddy, I didn't have a real job because a musician wasn't a, didn't have a real job. So he sicked the dogs on me and said, get out of here with you and don't you come back no more. We sneak down to get married, the jury's to do your solemn swear, to take this woman for your lawful wife and not a one-night love affair. Before I could open my mouth to say I do, guess who walks to the door? Her dad, mom, big brother John, and the dog named both. That means he don't want me to marry his daughter. He don't have anything against me, but he thinks that because a musician, my musicianship can't do what it needs to be done for his daughter. I can't blame him because that's not a real job. I can't blame him, but... Just because she's a musician, that do not mean you left to something else.
1: Right. Of course. Um, now when you look at what you've overcome, Bobby, with racial injustice, um, racial barriers and things as such, looking at your career through my eyes, in my perspective, you've gone from playing behind a curtain to a white crowd to playing at the White House for the President of the United States. When you look at that jump and um, movement from something so negative and uh, hateful to something so incredible and commemorable, was that the pinnacle of your career? Playing at the White House, knowing what you've overcome with uh, racial issues and uh, racial barriers through your career. Yeah,
2: knowing, yeah, what that, that, was, that that was that was, yeah, that was overcome and, and, uh, I was so popular uh, with my black people at that time, and some of them talked about black people inside the White House. You got white people, black people inside the White House, political also. I and Jane Brown was so uh, was popular than I, and when I played the White House the first time, Jane Brown was at one end of the hall. I was at the other end of the hall. What they were doing? They had two bandstand, and both were playing at the same time. So they had Jane Brown going up, me going up at eight thirty, and Jane Brown went up at nine thirty. Uh, I'm no, I'm sorry, I was going up at at nine thirty. Jane Brown went up at eight. Uh, went up eight thirty. So they switched around for me to go up at 8.30 and Jane Brown go up at 9.30. Jane Brown got angry and switched back around for him to go up at 8.30. I go up at 9.30. Here's why. Because he figured that I went up on stage with the girls around me and the whole bit around me. People would be so involved with me. When he went up, they wouldn't turn from me and do it to him. And he was was right. That was a smart move on Jane Brown Brown party, you know? (laughs) And, but but we had to had that same thing in Jackson, Mississippi, in 1983. 1983, Sue was a big record, especially among black audience. And I was on a, a Capitol Street, and I had about ten or fifteen thousand people watching me at at eight thirty. Jane Brown went on at nine thirty. He didn't have a hundred people watching him because they wouldn't leave me to go to him. Not that he wasn't good. But they wouldn't leave a Bobby Rich to go to, to see a Jane Brown because too much was happening on the stage, uh, exciting-wise, you know. Mm. So Jane Brown got a taste of that. So when he went to uh, Washington, D.C., he said, this never happened to me again. I'm going <laughs> to change this stuff around. But it'd be him being the headliner, he could change it back around like he wanted because he was the headliner, you know. Mm. But anyway, he was, right, he was right He was right. about doing that, you know, you know.
1: Now, Bobby, when you reflect on this journey that you've embarked on many years ago and you think about everything. Have you had much time to do so? Um, And is the time in which we are in right now with COVID-19 happening, has this given you the opportunity to really reflect and uh, look back at everything you've accomplished? From, uh, you know, starting back in the 50s with Elmore James, moving to Chicago, uh, you know, going through all those racial uh, discrepancies, those racial challenges that uh, still to this day, uh, you know, sadly is an issue um, or shouldn't be. But has this period of silence, I guess that's a great way to put it, um, given you that time to marinate and reflect on this great journey that you've been on and continue to embark on.
2: I had time to sit and think about some of the things I didn't do. I also thought about some things I did do. Some of the things I did do, it was God had led me to do them. Not that I was knowing, not that I was realized I was doing something right. But the things I did wrong, I realized them too now since I've been shut down. Mm. And I found out that one thing for sure, care okay, how big you are, how much money you have, how much how popular you are, you we just a popper thing away from being broke, mm-hmm. down and out. Because when I went to the hospital and I had saw on T V that many people went to the hospital who had uh, the uh, the uh the corona who had to go them uh, this vice this the uh who had the disease I had the the symptom of it they kind of isolate you because now they have this thing of if you was uh, fever, had uh, backache, and all these things, they would give you the test. At that time, when they give when they give you the test, you almost too sick to help yourself. You had the last end of your breath. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't give it to you before the time. So when I went in, they put me in this room. I stayed in this room six or seven hours, or could be more, waiting on them to wait on me. By being being my age, over eighty years old, they I, I'm guessing they kind of thought, well, here's an old black man. I put him in this room. He here to die anyway. Just let him, just throw him away. I think they kind of just throw me in the room and didn't come to wait on me, thinking maybe that was that was the last of me. But God got in the plan of my plannings and brought me out of it. It took me two weeks to get my uh to get a test. Cause that February, last of February, there were not no tests in Mississippi, and for I my knowledge, there was nobody who had the COVID in Mississippi. Then it took me another week and a half to get the result back. Now it's three and a half weeks. So either they misdiagnosed me, or I never had it. By the time I did take it, I was negative of it and and didn't have it. So either I never had it, I got. his precious arm around me and i got rid of it and i walked through it thank god for
1: that thank god is right bobby i mean when you think about it it's really sad to to understand and process the fact that all we have left from that first wave of great blues musicians is you and buddy guy it's really it's uh it's humbling it's uh it's eye-opening um just wild so Um, I I can't thank you enough for giving me this opportunity to speak to you on uh, a platform that's built on doing everything um, in my power to preserve and keep this music alive and well. So thank you so much. I appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Um, It was an absolute honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Man, you don't know how much I appreciate you. And the last what you said about Buddy, Buddy called me a few days ago. Mm-hmm. I had A lot of people to call me, but what Buddy called and said to me was so uplifting to me. I I was in tears just him to reach out because I always wanted this relationship with Buddy, and finally we have it. He's my home state friend. He's the last of the kind of what he do. He loved me, and I love him. Uh, he's uh, he's he's it for me, you know, and it is he's everything, you know. And along with the, my proud friend, my praying people, proud friend, and the people who concern, my fans and friends, I thank everyone for what they did for me, all the concerns, all the love they had for me and have for me. I thank you. And I want to thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, what you plan to do, because people like you, what you say about me, what people perceive me to be. So thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate you very much, Bobby. Thank you so much for doing this. You take care of yourself, my friend. Thank you, my friend.
0: Somebody asked me where I've been Around the world I'm going again Somebody ask me what's my name
1: Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I uh, thoroughly appreciate it, certainly. Um, if you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Um, please uh, leave a review, a rating, anything else. It helps uh, with the search queries when people search for podcasts to listen to. So if you can do that, that'd be great. Uh, next week we have Chicago's very own Mr. Taranzo Cannon on our show. I can't wait for that one certainly, so hope everyone enjoys themselves the rest of uh, Monday. And we'll see you next week. Stay safe. God bless. That's
0: all I I'm a blues man Singing everywhere I go Started singing the blues When I was ten Been singing the blues, y'all Every since then I'm a blues man I'm a blues man I play the blues But the girls, yeah, they understand I'm a blue man I heard somebody say